All right, so those of you know, we've been looking in the book of Acts for several months now because we just we want to look at what the early church was about, what it looked like, what they majored on, what was really important uh, to them uh, for those who walked with Jesus as this whole thing started out. Last week was a real turning point. We looked at Acts 10, and for a little background, uh, in Acts 10, it tells the story of Peter who went to uh, a Roman centurion's house named Cornelius, and he came to faith. And what was significant about that story in Acts 10 is that he was the first Gentile convert who had not, was not considered a proselyte, which means that there were others like the Ethiopian eunuch and some of those who came to an understanding of who Jesus was, but they, before that time, they had, they had never crossed the line into um, some of the, the um, following the rituals of Judaism and some of the laws and some of the things that they followed. So this was a guy who believed in one God. He was monotheistic, okay? And he prayed to God, and, and he was known as a man who was generous, and he served those in need, all right? And he believed in one God, but he was a proud Roman soldier. And he came to faith, which was, he was the first Gentile convert in Scripture um, um, who, who came to faith, and uh, it was a great story because up until this point, you almost wonder if Peter and the apostles had ever really considered this is going to be for those who do not believe what we believe or who do what we do. That there's probably just this exclusive family of people who are going to be blessed enough to be able to be invited into this thing called Christianity. And this was the story in Acts 10 where, where um, God just told, revealed to Peter that... Um, it's, it's way bigger than, than you think. And so he broke tradition and he went into this Gentile's house and he broke bread with him and he shared uh, the story of Christ and all he had seen and all he had, had known. And we know from last week in Acts 10 that they received Christ. Not only did they receive Christ, but the Spirit fell on them. And they, they, they were very convinced. They knew that they were believers. They weren't out practic- you know, living by the law that they, that they knew. Um, and yet they had obviously uh, become believers, and this evidence was here. And so that is what um, we, we see. And, and we talked about how it's fun because I think a lot of us can identify with Peter. Um, I think it's really good for us to look at his stories because he's the guy that we can find ourselves in a lot. He was real reactive. He did things out of compulsion a lot. He was one of the guys that he really probably thought it's better to ask forgiveness than permission because he just acted a lot. Unless he was supposed to do the right thing many times, Jesus had to tell him three times, come and do this. It was the same story here. But everything we knew about Peter um, um, was that he wanted to honor Christ. He walked with Christ. Jesus had, had, it was a complete 180 in his life. And so he wanted to walk the right path. And we know from Acts 9 that they would begun to do this. Things were going great. And in fact, it said that the people were experiencing a lot of peace and joy in the church. The church was really, things were going smooth. Things were going just how they would want it to go. And so it was the perfect time for someone not to rock the boat, you know? It was the perfect time to just coast and say, let's just, I really like the way this is going. This is cool. We've got favor with people. Um, things are going smooth. And then all of a sudden God says, no, Peter, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go shake things up. 
I want you to go to this Gentile's house and do this thing. So everything was saying, okay, um, I don't want to do that. That just might be too hard for me. That might shake things up. People might look at me and think, okay, that's a crazy thing to do. You shouldn't, why would you do that? Maybe in his own place, he probably thought, you know, I feel like I've arrived now at this place, this position, everybody likes me. And I don't want people not to like me anymore. And I wonder if he just came to that point where it's just like, this is going to be a hard thing to do, but it's something I've got to, I'm really supposed to do. All right. But God said, go. And so he did. He went. And here's how he was received by the other Christians. Look in Acts 11. So the story happened. People had come to faith. And Acts 11 picks up right there. It says, the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, he went back to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him. And they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Then Peter began to explain everything that had happened. Isn't that an interesting response that they had? I was thinking about um, this this week. Um, That's a weird deal. How many of you guys are like on Facebook? Anybody? On Facebook? I know some of you are. Okay. How many of you had someone post a picture of you from the past that you're like, why did you post that? That is so embarrassing. Yeah, you ever do that? You ever do that for someone else? And you tag them? And what I've learned is if you untag that picture so it doesn't show up on your feed, it emails them and lets you know that, lets them know that you untagged their picture. So they're mad at you and it's like middle school all over again. Um, a couple months ago, Someone from my high school posted a picture of me at homecoming when I, in 1987. And so, yeah, picture this. So there I am. Yeah, thanks, Juan. And so there I am. I have on black pleated slacks with the tight at the bottom. I think they were rolled. Yeah. And, and um, a, like a plaid shirt. And then I had this white jacket. You know, Miami Vice. And then I had this little thin silk tie. And the thin, they had two kinds of thin silk ties. It either had the piano keyboard on them. Remember that? Or they had like the bonsai star. I had the bonsai star one. I know I had the piano keyboard at home. And, um, and then I had on uh, my white high tops with it. Just kicking it. It was awesome. No one else. I was the only one. And the funny thing is, is when you're wearing that and you're in that moment, you think you're the stuff, you know, I know I'm walking out going, I am, I'm looking awesome, you know, (laughs) but you look back at that picture and you go, wow, that was just ridiculous. An entire culture had no clue how ridiculous we were, (laughs) right? An entire, we had no idea. We were all in it together. And it's funny to me, what I realize is, is it doesn't matter if it was 20 years ago, if it was five years ago or whatever. We look back at ourselves, and we look back at our life and we look back at what we looked like and things. And there's, there's things we, we instantly just go, what was I thinking, you know? And it's really good for us to take a moment to just really look at ourselves and go, what am I doing now? What am I really about? Forget the fashion side of it. Because I think we, we have this thing where we fail to do that a lot. We fail to look at ourselves for many different reasons. And instead we tend to just look at everyone else and what they're doing. And so 
I want to look at this scripture today and just say, how can we be more self-aware of what's going on? How do we know that we are not the people following after God who just, we're, we're still rolling our jeans and, you know, just, we think we, we are this way, but we're really this way. How do we look at ourselves and really say, okay, God, search us. What do we need to be doing? And I think the scripture is a really good scripture for this. Um, so that's what we're going to look. That's, that's what I want to do today. I just want to take an honest look. And so here's the deal. They had to overcome a lot in the early church. They really did. And I'm losing form here. I'm going to get ahead of myself, but I want to do this. Um, they were being called to follow something and to do something in a new way. That it wasn't like the old way was wrong. The old way was what God told them to do. But now all of a sudden, God is changing the rules and he's doing it on purpose. He's not doing it on accident like, oh, I messed up. Let's try something new. He was changing some things because it was about this journey that these people were going through. And it was because of this plan that God had to restore the world. Okay, to reconcile the world back to himself. And so God knew what he was doing, but they were dealing with this just real major change. And sometimes we act as if that's what we're dealing with too, when we're really not. And sometimes we have to really look at scripture and we have to figure out, okay, what are the things that we hold fast to because they're biblical? And what are the things that we hold fast to because we like them? Or because they're our tradition? Or because they are cultural? And I just can't help but think when we look back 10 years from now in the church that we see today, I can't help but think we're going to look back at it and we're going to go, wow, we thought that that was, you know, just ordained of God that we were supposed to do. And, and that maybe it was more something that we liked or that was shaped because of how we grew up or whatever it may be. So I think it's real important that we look at ourselves, but we also look with a little bit more of endearing eyes to the people in Acts 11. Because they were coming through some massive changes that were very, very biblical. So it was a different story than us, but it was still a very good thing that we could learn from. And so here's what I give. I want to give three warnings from this scripture that, that are kind of self-evaluating, evaluative, self. I'm looking really smart right now. So look at yourself and see what's wrong. Evaluation, self-evaluation, evaluationizing. You guys aren't very encouraging this morning. All right, so and here's the one thing. Here's what I've realized. is a lot of the things we do that are off base. Most of them are because we're defensive. A lot of them are because we're insecure. A lot of them are because we're afraid we'll get found out as not as good a Christians as we try to act. And so there's a lot of different reasons. Some of them are from personal wounds, something you've experienced in life. Maybe we're, we're in this, uh, this situation where we're very insecure. Maybe it's just because of sin. Maybe we're just selfish. But there are different, different things that impact how we respond in faith. All right? So this is really a scripture about how they respond. So three things that I want us to... Thank you. Three things I want us to look at today, just kind of quickly, that our thoughts about this scripture that I think really are warnings. First one is, is that we're quick to criticize the how. We are, we are. We're quick to criticize the how, many times neglecting the why. 
okay, or even the what. What I mean by that is we're quick to criticize the, the, the way we do things or the way someone does things. And, and so many times we neglect maybe the heart behind it. Scripture tells us clearly that God looks at the heart, man looks at the outside, right? It is our nature. And I don't know, we want to call it our fallen nature or our whatever it is, but it, it is our nature. It is our bent to criticize. And that's what happened here in this very first uh, part of this scripture. It says that the apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard the Gentiles also had feared the words, the word of God. Good thing, right? You think. And the first thing they said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. They completely missed the point. And their first bent was to criticize. Isn't it interesting that it had nothing to do with you shared faith or you shared something that we had and they don't deserve it or whatever. It was just, I can't believe you were in that place. Forget all that God was doing. I can't believe you would even hang out with that dude. Do you know what they were doing? You know what was funny to me is that when you go back and read Acts 10, it doesn't say he ate with them, but they assumed that he ate with them. Isn't it interesting now, if you look back at the vision, if you were here last week, the vision that Peter had, how God broke down the barriers with him speaking to the Gentiles, he did it about food, remember? Because there were only certain things, according to the law, that he could eat. And he had this vision of this sheet coming down, which we believe represents Christ. And on it had all of these animals, the birds and different kind of animals that he wasn't allowed to eat by Levitican law and Mosaic law. And... And he said, all these, all these things are pure, you can, you can now eat. So we might be able to assume that he went into that house and maybe for the first time he ate something that was against the law for him to do. He went into the house of a Gentile and he broke bread with a Gentile the way a Gentile might break bread. And it's funny because I believe he did that. It doesn't say he did that. And it's funny because with their critical hearts, they assumed he did that, whether he did or not. I don't know where that relates to your life right now, but I got about a million stories I can think about. That as I grew up in church, that I would never do these certain things because I was afraid of what it would look like and other people would think of me. Or I would even think that I was so great that I couldn't be around these people because they were undeserving of my company. You know? And it's like these people don't pick up on that and go, where do we get, you know, where people feel judged by the church? That's where it comes from. And so I think we need, you know, to think about that. Um, now, also, as I was looking back at the scripture, I was thinking, what is it that God really told him to go do? If you were to look at Acts 10, it, he didn't tell him to go share about Jesus and do all this stuff. Although he did, he knew he was supposed to. What did he tell him to do? He said, just go. That Read Acts 10 again. The vision, he just said, these men are going to come. I want you to go with them. And then later on, they come and he says, another vision. I want you to go with them. You need to go with them. And it's interesting that in the vision from that Cornelius had to call out for Peter and send his men to Joppa to tell him to come, he didn't say, go there and find out what he has to say to you. He just said, send for him. I think there is so much to learn about the power of presence, of where you are and what you're about. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. But we need to remember that we are quick to criticize. And we need to think about why. Why are you? Why am I quick to criticize? Is it because I'm afraid of what other people think? 
Is it because I'm deflecting? If I criticize them, then they're on the defense and they can't criticize me. Is it because it's something I've grown up with and it's all I've ever known, so it's all I ever feel comfortable with, so I want to force that on other people? Why is it that we do that? There's a reason that we do that. Maybe it's a noble reason. Maybe it's a noble thing that we're wanting to protect, that we know what is, what is right and what is true. One thing I'm learning more and more is that um, God doesn't need me to protect him as much as I think he does. But it's okay to test it and to question it and try and do the right things. But then listen and see what God has to say. Because maybe then he goes, I got this one. Okay, don't worry about it. You just worry about dealing with your issues because you got plenty, you know. Maybe that's what, he, that's what he says to me a lot. So we're quick to criticize the how, often disregarding the what and the why. And so I think we need to do two things, two things in addressing this. The first one is we need to remember where we came from and remember where we really are now. I think it's just a reminder before we look out to anyone else, we need to step back and go, am I really the one that should be critiquing this? Whether it's a church, or whether it's a person, whether it's someone who's far from Christ. Why are we doing that? And should we look back? Luke 6, verse 37 says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Can forgive, and you will be forgiven. I think what um, Jesus taught in Matthew 7, verse 3, you've probably heard this several times. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And second thing, I think before we criticize, we need, really, we need to take the time to wrestle with and identify what are the things in our lives that are biblical versus cultural for us. What are these things that we're, we, I've used this phrase, the cultural wrappings. What are the things that we have always known as the norm that we've never questioned just because that's the way we grew up or we've always heard it? We maybe have never even investigated it biblically in our own lives ever. I'm amazed how many things I believe that when I really think about it, I've never studied them out on my own. I'm done with that. We need to wrestle with, identify what are the things that are biblical? What are the things really that um, are traditional? Whatever those may be. And I thought about listing some examples of those things, but I think we need to wrestle with them, what they are on our own. But what I do believe is that we need to have respect for one another's convictions on the things that are secondary, the things that are really disputable, the things that people have disagreed about for since the very beginning. There are foundational things. You go to our website, you go to our partner class, there are things that we believe, we think that are, that are not up for discussion. We believe they're very scripturally based and they're very consistent throughout all evangelical Christianity. Okay, But you can't take away what Paul wrote to the Romans. In Romans 14, 5, he, he, he wrote this. He says, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone, and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Jump up to verse 22. 
So whatever you believe about these things, and it's talking about just disputable matters. He used meat sacrificed to idols in this scripture. He also uses the concept of drinking wine. He says, whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but the man who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. So this is his experience. The first thing he gets is uh, he comes back, right? Verse 3, they say, why in the world could you do this? How could you be uh, in this house with these men? How could you ever? I would never be caught in this place. And you were there and you were eating with them, all this stuff. And they did not consider that maybe God had sent him and that maybe God had told him to do this. Instead, they were just so concerned with what he was doing and then Peter just backed up and he said, okay, let me explain to you what happened. And I love it. I love that Peter took the time instead of just going, you're an idiot. I'm just going to leave you behind. He took the time to say, you know what? Let me explain to you what God is doing in my life right now. You may not believe this, but I went on the roof to eat and a sheet came down from heaven. And God just said, Peter, you've got to change the way you think about this. Because there are others who need me who I want to reconcile back to my father. And I want to use you to be a part of that. And so he told me to go do this. And, and this is my version of the next few verses. So he told me to go do this. And, I, and what did I know? But this vision was happening for this other guy too. And he was to call for me. And so I went and I did this. And every, everyone believed the message that, that I said. And it was just an awesome experience. And, and he was saying that nothing was unclean, whether it's the food or the Gentiles. And in verse 17 it says, So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Wow, that's a good verse. Who, who are we? My dad used to say, who do you think you are? <laughs> who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? <laughs> who are we? The second reminder and warning we need to have is that we easily forget that the gospel, okay, that the gospel is often for the unlikely and always for the undeserving. It's often for the unlikely and always for the undeserving. Um, I say often for the unlikely because so far as we look through Scripture, we really see three groups of people who the gospel, while we know it's for all, three specific groups of people um, that either Jesus taught um, or um, Scripture, uh, the letters then went on to reveal that it was for, one, obviously, for, for the Jews, okay, um, Jesus said very clearly for the poor. Okay, good news for the poor. And then now for the Gentiles. So to, to, to those who grew up worshiping God, it was very surprising. It was unlikely to them that the gospel was for the poor because they had always believed that the poor and the leper and the people marginalized on the outside... They were that way for a reason because they didn't deserve it as much as they did. And so it was for the poor and the marginalized and then it was for the Gentiles. Those who they considered unclean and impure. And so it's for the unlikely in their minds and all for the undeserving because none of us, none of us can live according to the law. None of us can do enough, right? 
And we talked about that as well. The law was not given so that we can earn our way to God. The law was given to expose the fact that we can't do it on our own. The law was given to expose the fact that we needed a Savior. The law was given so we could see how bad we needed Jesus. And that none of us deserve it. The gospel was for the underdog. And everyone in this room, we're the underdog. That's good news. Can't help but think then, who are the unlikely today? In your life. We know who the undeserving are because it's all of us. Who, who are the unlikely in our lives? And you think about those you work with or those you live near, or those you serve, those you know or don't know. Who are the unlikely? And what are you supposed to do? What, are you supposed, what role are you supposed to play? Am I inclusive for the gospel, sake of the gospel or am I exclusive? I think sometimes we consume the gospel. We just keep it to ourselves. Um, and, well, that's another story. All right. So uh, God told Peter to go. And he didn't say anything else. He just said, go. He was sent and he went. Um, he knew right away it's going to require him to be in places and do things he didn't expect to do. He was going to be around people he didn't expect to be around. He was going to be in places that other people might not like for him to be at. And I think it was, it was probably a scary thing. I think fear is something we don't talk about a lot in the church for some reason. We talk about fearing God, which means respecting God. We see in the Bible whenever an angel appeared that they were, um, the angel always said, do not fear. Um, and we, we talk a little bit about fear, but fear drives a lot of things in our faith. Uh, it keeps us from doing a lot of things. We're, a lot of us are afraid um, that we're going to do the wrong thing, that we're going to be found out. A lot of us are afraid that we're not going to please God and we're not going to be able to do enough. It's like, I guess God already knows that. (laughs) He already knows that we can't. We have a lot of fear. And so we struggle with this. And um, I I think about this thing that I grew up hearing about, that we are to be aliens, that we are aliens in the world. You ever hear that? Anybody? Um, I always struggled with what that really meant. What I thought that meant growing up was, is that I am an alien. I do not belong here, you know. Therefore, I will not hang out with you or be around your ways because, you know, whatever. I'm, I'm supposed to. And, and scripturally, we have in 1 Peter 2.11, it says, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So we are to be aliens, but I think sometimes we think that we make ourselves aliens by isolating ourselves instead of just understanding that we are aliens because our values and the things we are are, are different. I think it's harder when we think about being aliens in the world versus being an alien in in a country. It's more like being an alien like if you were legally or illegally in another country um, and you're in this place and you're around their customs and you're around their ways, you're still, if you were American, you're still there and you're American, but you're in a foreign land. You're, you don't lose your identity. You don't change. You're still this person. Not because you're somewhere else. You don't change who you are. You still value these things that, that are important. And 
And I think sometimes we get that mixed up that we can't, um, we have to separate ourselves from all of these things just because we're supposed to be different or we're supposed to stand out. If I'm not being persecuted, then I'm not standing up for Jesus. Well, sometimes we're persecuted in the wrong ways. I don't know if that made sense, but we don't make ourselves aliens by separating ourselves. We are aliens because our values, our mission, our wants are not of this world. And somehow, along the way, somewhere, we just decided that we were supposed to extract ourselves from culture. And and in Acts 11, this is Jesus telling Peter, no, go back and eat with this guy because I love him as much as I love you. All right, so last, last warning, kind of lesson, kind of thought. And I think is one of the things that keep us from doing this. And we need, to be, we need to be aware of that. We often and unknowingly seek the approval of man and tradition over the approval of God and truth. Many times we do that. All the things that we've been talking about, we um, are helping to sift between whether or not this is of God or this is of man. Whether or not we're seeking the approval of God or whether we're seeking an approval of of man, And honestly, this is really hard for us because a lot of us, since we were children, we have been seeking the approval of someone. And it impacts who we are today. I know my seeking the approval of my dad still impacts me today relationally. And I chase after that in different ways. Maybe it's through wanting to please certain authorities in my life or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's healthy, sometimes it's, it's not. But we have this bent where we want... Whether that means we have to put on this facade or we have to do these things we don't really feel like we're supposed to do or whatever because we just want to be accepted. We want to belong. We want want to be the outcast. We don't want to be the one rocking the boat. We won't want to do that. And so too easily and too often we're seeking the approval of each other more than we seek the approval of God. And the funny thing is, Scripture tells us over and over that when we seek the approval of God and we truly walk in His ways, we will find favor among men. It's really interesting. It's really hard for us to do that. That was a a journey for me personally, when especially related to how I study God's Word. I came to a point where I realized I study the Bible only to defend my faith. I already have an opinion I'm going to go find a verse to support it. I'm going to tell you about it. And that moment when I was reading, and God just said, stop doing that. Don't read it to defend it. Read it to define it. And that moment when you just go, God, whatever it is, I'll do it. That's a scary moment. But it's also amazingly freeing when you come to that place and you realize that this is our, our nature. All right. Did y'all have a time in your life where you just threw away all your tapes or eight tracks or CDs or whatever and bought all Michael W. Smith and and um, wore all the cool Christian T-shirts and did all that? It's just a weird. Um, there's some good things in that. Um, I just have embarrassing story after embarrassing story of trying to please other people. Now, I think the heart behind that, I think there are moments where God just like, yes, that's a victory. That one step for you, that was an amazing victory in that time. But isn't it funny how you went about it when you look back at it now? Whatever it may be. Um, 
So let me close with this. I want to read a, a scripture from Mark 7. And here's what I want to tell you. This is nothing new. And, and my, ho- my hope, I know this is kind of a, this kind of a downbeat sermon today. Um, but my hope is that we realize is that Jesus was about making things new. And this story was not new either. In Mark 7, the Pharisees were confronting Jesus because the, his disciples were doing things a little differently than the law typically told him to do things. And he was shaking it up a little bit. He was questioning it, constantly doing that. <clears throat> Mark 7, verse 5, it says, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked, Why don't your disciples live according to the traditions of the elders? Instead of eating specifically here their food with unclean hands. They didn't go through the right ceremonial cleansings. Okay? Why do you do that? Why do, you, why do your disciples do this, Jesus? And he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. As it was written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You've let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, verse 9, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Jump down to verse 13. And you do many things like that. You know, there, there is hope. Um, even in this story. So they criticized him. They said, why were you even in his house? Why could you, how could you ever eat what he ate? Um, and then, so he answered. He said, here's why. Because I went and I told him about the hope that we have. And because they received it. And they were baptized. And, and now this awesome thing is happening in their lives and in their community. And we were able to be a part of that. And we were able to share that. And then this, this group of people, they were at a crossroads right then. And here's the hope. The hope is that they had a chance to just go, well, that's good. This is a good thing. Or, or they could have stepped back and they could have just said, oh, no, that just, I don't like it. I don't want anything a part of it. But it closes out. And not only did they receive it, but they celebrated it. Verse 18, when they heard this, they had no further objections. And they praised God, saying then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. That's good news. Hey, let's pray.